You are listening to the Hoops Fix podcast, the official voice of the UK's largest basketball website. Visit hoopsfix.com for exclusive news, videos and more. Hello and welcome back to the Hoops Fix podcast with me, your host, Sam Nita, full-time British basketball advocate. Um, We're here for episode 13 and we have a good one. Obviously, there's been a lot going on recently. I'm sure you've seen that um, British Basketball launched their new vision and strategy document last week. Um, talking about their plans for the sport for the next 12 years. And I thought that we need to have a chat with the new BBF chair, Nick Humby. Um, my own event, the Hoops Fix All-Star Classic little plug here is coming up on Sunday so I'm mad to do this in the middle of it all um, I have a million and one things to do but uh, time is of the essence and you know these things they need to be relevant so I had to get it done so I banged it out this morning on this bank holiday Monday um, and it proved to be a really interesting conversation spoke to Nick about a lot of things uh, ranging from obviously the new strategy document you know his background how he got into doing uh, what he's doing now with the BBF his first impressions of the sport um, what the feedback and reception has been, um, but yeah, if you you know if you have any interest in kind of where British basketball is going um, and what the plans are for it, this is a, this is a kind of must listen. Um, so yeah, as always, I am contactable at sam at hoopsfix dot com, or you can reach me at Twitter um, at hoopsfix. I respond to every single one, so please do reach out. I'd love to hear your feedback. Uh, I've been getting a few requests recently to revive this podcast, as always, and I always say that. Um, and it is my intention to start uh, ramping up a little bit because I really do enjoy doing them. It's just having the time to edit it and get it online afterwards. Um, but yeah, that is my intention. So I expect to hear a lot more from me uh, in the coming months over the summer um, and the next season. So yeah, have a listen and uh, let me know what you think. We're very lucky to be joined here today by uh, the British Basketball Federation Chairman, Nick Humby. Nick, thank you so much for joining us. Absolute pleasure, Sam. So, obviously, there's been a ton going on over the last um, five months or so. Uh, But what I want to do is just kind of give people a little bit of background before that. So can you talk about your background before you uh, got into this basketball stuff? Yeah, Yeah, sure. Um, I've been around... uh television for 35 years i was the finance director of the first sports channel in in britain screen sport back in the uh, in the 80s um so i've been mainly in tv but only, from 2000 on i got involved in sport and sports development through first of all working for manchester united for five years and then uh, the lawn tennis association for three years and was at the fa last year and i've been a non-executive director of the amateur swimming association for two or three years so so i've been around uh the profiling of the sport through broadcasting and through sports development and relationship with funders of sports development uh, for the last four or five years. Uh, and that's um, given me this real interest in how do I help a sport grow and develop and realise its potential? And, and personally for you, is, is sport something that you've always just been passionate about? Um, well, I, I come from, from rather from, from the, um, the end of being an entertainment. I, I now, my, my passion is about the fact that you create venues and events that attract large audiences. And, and I just love being part of a sporting audience. And that's what really excites me. Uh, and so the, 
the impact that that engagement watching an event has on people's lives and, and the, the connection it has with the sport and then hopefully helping them to participate more themselves is, is, is an exciting combination. And it's that that I think appeals to me. Um, you know, I've been in the participation end of the sport in, uh, in the LTA, uh, but the British Basketball Federation is very much at the top end of the sport pyramid about how we get the, the top, the GB teams to perform to the maximum. And that's really about that whole pyramid that sits beneath it, right from the kids in schools, right way through. So how do you lead and coordinate that whole structure so that ultimately you have a deeper, bigger, better pool of players who can be selected to play for GB and bring success on a world stage? And that reinforcing the whole interest in a sport and in being active in that sport. So this might be hard to imagine now, but before you uh, got deep into the basketball world, um, did, had you come across basketball? Like, What was your perception of, of it, especially in the UK, if you knew of it at all? Yeah, well, I'd seen the Harlem Globetrotters players both live and, and when I was a kid watching it on telly. Um, and I was very lucky. I went to the London 2012 Olympics and saw two games there, including a GB game and uh, two Paralympic wheelchair basketball things. So I had a sense from there that if you get it right, what you can create is a wonderful experience of people to, watching the game and and hopefully an experience which encourages them to find a hoop and, and a ball and, and have a go. And that's my previous experience. Um, did, you re- the- did you recognise at that time that basketball maybe wasn't as successful or hadn't quite reached its potential in England? Well, I, I think what's interesting about basketball as I've got into it is is actually it is quite a, bit, a reasonable sized participation sport in, in England and Scotland and Wales. Um, it, what it's failing to do is, is in, over the last five or six years is, is to convert the uh, interest in schools, the interest in the participation, you know, the monthly participation numbers are, are quite high relative to other sports, is to convert that into a continual pathway of engagement and, and develop that interest through a, long, a longer life uh, engagement with the sport. And that's, that's the challenge. And I, but the, the, what I think pleased me to, is to discover that as a sport, there is a, there is a good base. And as I've gone around for five months meeting people, and I've been out and about as much as I can to meet as many people who've either asked to see me or I've sought to see them, um, and learn about the sport, and there's still lots more to learn, uh, I've realised there are some excellent little activities that go on. What's been missing is leadership and joining up all these, these efforts into a bigger picture to sell the story better uh, to the wider public, to the broadcasters, to sponsors, and, and create that perception that we are uh, the sport that we should be. So how, how did you first come across the BBF job and kind of what was your initial impression? Was it just straight away that you wanted to go for it? Or did they contact you? Like, what was the process there? Well, I'm, I'm usually in the same thing as most people. Like you see an advert and you're at a point in your life where you think, I'd like to do something new and different. I'd been, on, I'd been a, a, a board director of various companies for, for 35 years. Uh, I chaired occasional meetings and chaired, chaired committees. And I just felt in my time of life, having a bash at being a chairman of a, a sport was an interesting thing to do. Uh, and when you look across the sporting landscape and you think, well, if you're going to do this in a sport, where would you like to do it best? Basketball comes up very high at the top of that list. So when I saw it, it was a natural thing to apply because you want to you want to get involved in something where there are not already completely dominant forces that make it impossible to change, but where there's enough good stuff going on to make it possible to change. And there aren't many sports in Britain that I think have got that unique combination. And the creation of the British Basketball Federation in October 
16. And the bold decision that the three home nations took back in 2012-13 to give up their FIBA membership to create this new GB organization, again, created a unique opportunity. You think, well, there is a fresh start here. There is a group of people who have made a bold decision. Can I help them succeed? And that's a very appealing thing to do. Um, and I was very flattered that not only did they show interest in me, but also were prepared to wait um, a few months until I'd finished the job I was doing at the FA. And then obviously uh, you kind of, you, you, you obviously took the position and, you know, you spent time speaking to various different people and going different places. You know, when you first got involved with it, what was different to what you expected? I was surprised how fragmented and uh, di- diverse in activities it was. Um, I, there was, there, there, there was as I said a moment ago, there was, a, there was an absence of unity. There was an absence of uh, clear leadership. There have, I think, and I think all the people I've spoken to acknowledge this, there had been an absence of proper leadership for the sport. Um, and therefore, people are fighting for their, the last pound for their own project. And therefore, in some ways, they're selling against themselves. In some ways, they are being incredibly inefficient in the limited resources available because it's all devoted on their own survival. Uh, and that's what we've got to try and change. It's a co- as much as I think that this plan, which I'm sure we're going to talk about, has got lots of things in it. But as much as anything, the point of publishing it now as a, as a, as a, as a statement, but as a piece of work that needs things to be developed is about leadership and culture change. It's about trying to get all the various people I've met and all those I've yet to meet to think I could play a role in that. I would like to work to deliver that. I think we can do this. I think we can do that together. And how do you create that sense of togetherness, that sense of cultural change so that we can work to build the sport? That's what I felt was missing um, before before we actually published this. Uh, and, And... that's why I felt the absolute need to have this statement out there. Uh, in many ways, I think I'd like to take another 12 months to write a detailed plan, to get into the detailed action plans, to, uh, to set out specific objectives. But I believe that none of that detail matters if you can't create a new, fresh culture which says this sport has the potential to be something much, much bigger. And the only way we're going to do that is by working together by being clear about what needs to be done, by being clear about who is going to lead on that and, and then holding those people accountable to do it. And that's what we're trying to set out here. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of BBF comes into, into being as the official FIBA member in October. You know, the three home nations, the three home country associations, England, Scotland and Wales, still uh, have a huge part to play and there's a huge responsibility and it's that partnership between the BBF and the three home country associations, and then all the local partners that they deal with in the delivery of the sport around their countries. That's what's going to make this deliver and work. And what's the, um, you know, obviously changing culture is not a, it's not a small task. Um, nope. What's been the response, you know, when you've spoken to people? I, I've generally found that, you know, I can speak to people all day and everyone will agree that the sport has all this potential. <laughs> everyone will all agree that we all need to work together. But actually, when it comes down to the nitty gritty of how that's going to be done, and it means that certain people might have to lose certain amount of things. Uh, other people might have to change the way they're doing certain things. Yeah. Um, there's resistance. 
Um, so yeah, what's what's kind of been the the response that you've had when you've spoken to people about this? Well, I think you've hit the nail on the head there. I mean, the response uh, to the document so far from the vast majority of people I've spoken to and to me personally has been extremely positive. But you're absolutely right. You don't change culture quickly. It's it's a it takes it's taken a long time to be, create the culture that's here today, and it'll take a long while to break it down and change it. What we've got to do is find the things that demonstrate that doing this in this fresh way will make a difference and get people to buy into doing them. So there are, find the first small steps that make it fit. People think, yes, OK, this is different. This is not just some fine words, which we've seen before in other fine documents. This is a genuine attempt to change and to move forward. Um, and that's that's what we're working to do. So, you know, there are priorities set in here. Um, we do have. Uh, the GB men's event in August, September. Uh, we have to deliver that event. We have to deliver it in a way which people see is different. It's collaborative. It's successful. Uh, and then hopefully we gradually build on that. We have to see the home nations uh, behave differently, work differently, support each other better, share best practice more, uh, share coaching development plans better, uh, we need to create that collaborative sense of, of working together and for people to visibly see it and think, OK, this is this is different and gradually get more people on board and get more people to buy into it. And, and that, you know, we, we spend a lot of time within various workshops and joint meetings. Uh, and certainly we plan to do more of that process, both behind closed doors and in a more visible external way uh, to try and develop that. In the, uh, I, I saw you had, you had your big sort of stakeholder meeting um, yeah. a couple of weeks ago of all the BBL, WBBL clubs, yeah. home nations and whatever else. Like, you know, <laughs> how, how was that? Like, I, I would imagine there must be some conversations that involve a little bit of tension and whatever else. Like, you know, how did you feel it went? Well, you're absolutely right. I mean, the point of that meeting was, uh, as much as anything, to uh, get some of those tensions out on the on the table so that we and 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 debate them and discuss them um because you you, you can't brush this under the under the under the table or under the carpet you've got you've got to face up and deal with these issues and they are some of them are very long seated long long rivalries uh long levels of mistrust so you have to start breaking them down and the meeting was as much as anything about breaking them down and we had a really brilliant facilitator in chris grant from sported who did a fantastic job he's He's been around the sport a while. He, he, he's done these sort of things. And I thought he, he, he helped do that. Um, we put in the, uh, in, the, in the vision document, Transforming Basketball Together, the statement of intent that was written that, and it's fine words. And I shall remind those people who were there that that's what they wrote, not what we wrote. That's what the people in the room wrote uh, at the end of that session. And that's what we need to hold them to account. That's what we're looking for them to do. These are the cultural intense that we need to develop and to remind people and ultimately and this will be tough and we have to be brutally honest about this not everybody's going to buy in to it and it, uh, at some point we'll have to leave people behind who can't who can't be can't change and that'll be tough but that's that's the only way we're going to do this is bring 80 85 percent of the people along who, who who say these things and, and hold them account to behave in this way uh, and if they don't then we need to leave them behind when you say leave them behind, how would you do that? Well, exclude them from future meetings. Um, you know, if, depending on what role they've got, um, just um, don't give them the benefits of being part of the collaborative network. 
Like, um, so if, if it's, let's say it's a professional franchise and you yep. put in standards and they're not, yep. they're not meeting those standards that, they, that they've agreed to, that you've agreed to, yep. it means what? You kick them out of the BBL? You, you sell the franchise yeah, to someone I, I, else? I, I, think, I think that, I mean, the, um, there are six outcomes on here and one of those outcomes is raising the quality and standards of the, of the professional leagues. Um, and we've had conversations about that. It's a lot of work to be done between now and the end of the year to develop a new long-term license. They all want a long-term license. It's very hard to build uh, a business. And these are businesses. Uh, to build a business without a long-term license, it's very hard to attract new money into those operations without a long-term license. So they want that. But if we're going to set a long-term license, the license is going to have to set out the standards of governance, the standards of uh, venue, the standard of uh, audience engagement, the standards of community engagement, the things that are set out in this document will be set there. And the challenge then is, okay, from where we are today, how long will we give clubs to make that transition to that higher standard? And we, and we, we will want to help. How do we support and make that transition? But ultimately, we need them to understand that if they can't make that transition within an agreed time frame, then the professional senior league is not the right place for them to be. That doesn't mean they're out of basketball because there's plenty of other places for, for them to, to do their, their thing in their community in a way which um, is valuable for the sport. It just means they shouldn't be part of the senior league if they can't achieve those standards. But it's, it's, got, it's got to be a, a, a carrot and stick approach. It's got to be how do we help them get there how do we support them to get there? But ultimately, they have to understand if they can't get there, it's just not possible. Then what is their alternative route to which to continue to operate and deliver the sport in their particular area? Do you see the professional franchises being the drivers forward, uh, the drivers of like of, of the change of basketball in this country? Like, Do you think it needs to start with them or do you think it starts with other places? No, I think that the reason why there are six six outcomes in here is that we need to work on all six and that's obviously challenging because it's a big widespread i don't think any one of these is uniquely going to change the the way in which the sport is develops and grows but if we got all six right and the virtual virtuous circle that is implied in in the document works then they all cross promote and help each other to grow, and that's what we've got to try and achieve. That's what all sports have to try and achieve. So, you know, the, the six are transform the leadership and culture, which I already talked about, and that's very much in the hands of uh, the the BBF and the three home nations to lead on that. But culture and tr leadership applies at every level. It's the way in which um, captain leads his team on the court. It's the way in which the coach leads his club. It's the way in which the volunteers lead their community clubs. It's the way in which uh, the league is governed. So this leadership applies at every level. We can set standards and try and behave in the right way at the, at the national governing body level, but we want to encourage that behaviour at every level. Uh, then you've got, obviously, um, driving awareness and profile of the sport. We, you know, This is a sport that deserves to have much more coverage. I was so frustrated when I went and saw... Uh, women's GB team play Montenegro in Manchester when I mean, what was for me one of the best sporting experiences I've had for many, many years when we beat them uh, slightly you know, to, against the odds, perhaps. Um, and I saw the benefit of the leadership, 
that had, was created in a very short space with Jose Maria Chema, as he's known, uh, and, the, and the leading girls in that team. That, the way they came together and created a team and were, and were led brought about that victory. Um, and so, that, you know, that was... But what a frustration. There was no, virtually no coverage of that in the media the next day. So we've got to do it. We've got to help create that interest because that then brings people back into the sport and retains their interest. And then you've got to drive that interest into playing opportunities. That sits very strongly with the home, three home nations. They are the participation arm of, of the sport. So England, Scotland, Wales, uh, within whatever resources they've got available, need to drive the, the opportunity to play and, and support the kids who want to play and, and the pathways for them. Um, we've got to improve the pathway for talented players so that it's clearer how you go from us from one level of from uh, primary school to secondary school, from secondary school to college, into clubs, whether you go to the States or whether you go somewhere else to develop your game uh, as a player and then come back into the professional game as a, as a player or potentially as a coach or an official. Then the, the league is, the, is, is part of that pathway and they have a role to play in the community in reinforcing that awareness and those pathways and the interest in the sport. And they have a responsibility and a, and a role to play in developing the GB players who we can ho hopefully have a league which is strong enough and commercially successful enough to make it a career path for GB players to stay and play in Britain. If you get all that right, then we'll succeed. But there's a ton of work to do on every one of those. And what we've got to do over the next six months is turn these ideas, these uh, statements of intent, the sort of pathfinder this document is, into the actions that each of those require Who's going to do it? By when? What are the milestones? What are the targets? How are we going to judge success? What are we going to do if people aren't doing it in the right way? That's a piece of work that flows out of this document and which we're now working to try and deliver over the next six months. You know, that's what I think when I first read the document, you know, my um, initial thought was, yeah, obviously, you know, it's, it's great to have it all on paper. Um, yep. But at the same time, it is just words on paper, and this yep. is exactly the same as the GB game on strategy from 2008 to 2013. It's the same yes. as T16. It's the same as the Madden report, and all yep. of these things have not led to any of the change. Um, yep. So why is it going to be different this time? Why should people think that it's going to be different this time? Well, I think you could say this is true of many sports. I was, when I was at the FA last year, um, Martin Glenn published his new strategy which I thought was a tremendously exciting document. And he went back and found the 2000 strategy, which was the same principles. So it's all sports struggle with this. And, and, there are, and the struggle for team sports is great as well because of the changing uh, culture of young, young people and their engagement. So uh, we, we, you're absolutely right. We, we shouldn't think this is going to be easy. This is not going to be easy. This is going to take a lot of hard graft and effort uh, and it'll obviously be made easier if we can bring some money into the sport to help fund that, uh, because that makes, you know, without the funding, it, it's very hard to deliver this, this intent, this, this, this statements of plan. Um, why is it different? Well, different? It's different because we need to make it different. We need to make it different because the three home nations signed up to create the British Basketball Federation, that FIBA are encouraging us to do things differently and we're supporting this. Uh, the Sport England have encouraged us to make this change. So we need to, to embrace that bold decision and work collaboratively to deliver it. That's what's different this time, I think, 
it doesn't make it easier. Uh, it doesn't. It needs us all to play a role in doing that. Um, have, have you looked back on? And, and it's long term. It's long term as well. I mean, you know, we, you know, you wonder when you create a document, you put a date on the front of this, um, and um, and and I think we 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 put a date on the front of it because it it needs people need to understand. They need to be patient. They need to believe and trust and work to do this. But it will take time. There, there is no quick fix here. This will take time. And the challenge will be to keep the energy levels up, to keep the engagement up, to keep the transparent communication up so that people believe that we are making steady progress. Have you looked back on um, the previous uh, sort of documents that have been done on basketball here and then sort of done research into why it never ended up happening? Well, learn, certainly, the, 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 the game on document was a, was a very long document. It was, I think it was 59 pages long. Um, uh, and why did it all succeed? Um, well, I, I think, you know, the fact that there's not one structure doesn't help. So just get the GB things, for example. The under 16, under 18s for the last few years have been run by the home nations and the, and the under 20s and the seniors by, by GB. So there's there's no connectivity between that. It's a, it's a it's a it's been a it's not been as smoothly managed as it should be. Now if they're under one umbrella. Hopefully, we can create a smoother connection with young players as they come through that system. We can develop uh, the 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 philosophy for the sport, the technical model for the the British game that can be embedded throughout that. So. Again, the, the, the connectivity between the three home nations and the BBF, if it's if we do that right, we'll have to work on, on those elements. That was missing in the past. Um, clearly, uh, you know, to do long-term change, you need long-term funding. And the sport hasn't had that uh, for the last uh, three or four years. Uh, so we've got to find the sources of long-term funding. Uh, we've got to find a way of, of generating money and investing it over a period of time. Stop-start funding does not create change. Uh, it, it, well, it's very I mean, hard to G run, run and develop businesses. GB had a good 10 million in the run-up to the Olympics and afterwards, you know, and they had that, you know, for a good, what was that, they ended up having it in four-year cycles, right? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, they had UK sport funding, uh, and we need to be really clear, you know, when you get funding from the government, uh, it's for specific activities, and I think the funding from UK Sport is always about uh, GB team success. And as far as I can see, they spent the money in order to try and deliver success on court in the London 2012 Olympics. That's what they were required to do. They knew that future funding was dependent on the team's performance on those 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 matches. And, you know, I only saw one of the games. But people tell me we've got we're pretty close. Um, could have gone differently. Um, and, and sporting a UK sport do what they do, which is if you don't deliver on podium success, then we focus our money on where we think we can. Um, so if they diverted money to some other thing, some longer term ambition at that point in time, they wouldn't have been using the money. I don't think that they were given by UK sport to do what UK sport required them to do. Uh, and that's part of the challenge. Uh, and there's certainly a challenge for team sports on a national stage, international stage, because if, you know, 
podium level achievement in in sport in, internationally is is incredibly difficult, particularly when your sport is more embedded in the culture and lifestyle and traditions of nations uh, elsewhere. And certainly that's the case with basketball. Um, we're, Britain is behind where it should be uh, with the sport for the size of the nation. Um, and therefore we are competing with nations that have got this much more embedded. So, that, so podium achievement is very hard. Uh, and that's true of a number of other sports. And, and how do you get long-term funding for that? Uh, and yet, I think we all can see the benefits for society wider uh, of a sport like basketball with its demographic appeal, with its inner city um, players, uh, with its t the team ethic that a successful team develops. You can see the benefits of society of that sport having profile. And it's, it's, it's reassuring to see in the, in the DCM, in, in Sport England's um, implementation of the, um, the Sporting Futures DCMS plan, that the KPI 12 is UK home nation performance in pinnacle world European and Commonwealth competitions. So a, a recognition by Sport England that uh, there is a role to be played in talent development of UK home nation performance in pinnacle world European and Commonwealth. And that's where we need to now make the case as to why basketball is a sport that can, with proper funding, deliver that success, not measured by gold medals in Olympics in the next cycle or the cycle after that, but progress and driving interest and awareness through the success of the teams, the progress those teams make. What are UK Sport and Sport England saying at the moment um, based on uh, the outputs, you know, the document, kind of your conversations that you've had with them? Um, are they, are they <laughs> it, like it? it? It's early days, isn't it? I mean, it's early days. I mean, the point of publishing this document is if I want to have conversations or the, or the members of the team of BBF board want to have conversations with anybody about why you should invest in the sport, you've got to have a vision. You've got to sell it. What, what we've heard from, from all the people we've spoken to in the first, well, even before I joined, was this is a fragmented sport. There are too many people saying, I can deliver you basketball. And that's confusing. If you want to invest in a sport, you want to know you're investing in the sport at a single point and that is going to be led properly. So you create this document and now we can talk to UK Sport, we can talk to Sporting England, we can talk to broadcasters, we can talk to commercial partners about now is the time to support us in delivering this. Um, and that's the, that, this only came out um, last week. Um, they've obviously seen drafts of it. Uh, they've also got, got an awful lot on their plate at the moment anyway with UK Sport with Rio and Sport England with their own new fresh strategy. Yeah. Uh, but we will have conversation with them over the coming days and weeks about our plans and about the extent to which they can back it. Now, sport, UK Sport are in the process of the, of the Tokyo funding round. Um, there are five categories of investment they've set out, depending on the probability of achieving that medal podium success um, and we have been straight and honest and they acknowledge that that basketball for in Britain is not got podium potential in the next cycle so there's a fifth category called emerging sport they've recognized that some sports some particularly some team sports need a longer cycle uh, to which to build up uh, success and there's a fifth category and we will apply 
for funding from UK Sport for that fifth category. We don't know uh, how much money is available in that fifth category. We don't know uh, whether we'll be successful until much later in the year. But it's a category which absolutely fits where basketball is. And there are small and other sports that probably feel the same way. And we need to make the case, starting with this document, as to, about, as to why uh, basketball should be supported as an emerging sport from a UK sport talent point of view. Have you began to have conversations with uh, potential commercial partners and broadcasters and sort of mainstream media? Yes, we, we've, um, I, I've met some. Um, some of my colleagues on the board, uh, like Steve Elworthy and Alan Gilpin, have had conversations with the others. I think we've talked now to um, BT Sport, to, to Sky, to BBC, to Perform, to Channel 5. Uh, the sport is talking to those broadcasters um, and... Uh, there's nothing to report on that yet. There's a dialogue. Uh, we have to make the case. They have to find the airtime. They have to believe that there's an audience for this. We have to make those cases coherently. Uh, I'm really clear that uh, the exposure of the sport, the, in whatever way, is critical to our success. You know, we set out uh, the awareness and profile um, outcome uh, in in the uh, in the document, and you know broadcast exposure is the number one item on that list now of course in the modern the modern day and age is, as you know and, and you live and breathe by that doesn't necessarily mean it has to be what I was brought up with traditional um, one to many uh, broadcasting offer over the air or over satellite there are plenty of other ways of doing it and we need to embrace those as well particularly with our demographic and target audience uh, to tell our stories we need to be able to uh, talk, talk not just about broad principles as I'm doing today, but some of the the stories that that have, have changed people's lives in the sport. You know, I think there was a really nice piece that the BBC did uh, earlier in the year with Savannah Wilkinson about about her with her. So, building those little stories, telling those stories about kids who've got potential, kids who've had their lives changed, is what we need to do better. Uh, and drive interest in the sport through that. Uh, if we can do that, if we can tell the stories of the people who make a difference to the sport better, more consistently, then we can help build the case as to why broadcasting or streaming ho whole games is the right approach. And I think we will see the sport over the next two years being more visible uh, through the streaming platforms and hopefully through the broadcast platforms as well. How much uh, pressure are you putting on these sort of uh, GB games in uh, September time? Obviously, I've seen the, announce the, the, the announcement or sort of mention of the, of the festival that you're planning. Um, obviously, I assume that the conversations you're having with broadcasters are, are about those, those three games. You know, do you feel like uh, kind of that is the time to make the statement of be like, you know, this is a fresh start, this is the new beginning? Well, certainly, it clearly is. I mean, it's, off, it's the first, it's the first uh, GB event uh, that we will be responsible for. It's actually still ahead of actually becoming the FIBA member, but um, under the old under the old structure, it's our, our event. Um, we are uh, wanting to do that well. Uh, we, uh, first of all, need to get the right team on the court and prepare them as best we can uh, with as much effort as we can to have the best chance of success. And people tell me, you know, if we get that right, we've got a good chance of success. So that's positive. 
but it's not the be it's not the be all and end all. It's a step along the path. Um, it's a it's a it, it, it's it's the first event. Um, but it, I, I don't pin our whole future on on uh, that event. Uh, we've got to do it well. We've got to do it in a way which raises the profile. Um, we've also got to recognise where we're at. We we've got to do it in a in a way reflects what we've got available to deploy to make it successful. So um, we've got good support from the GLA, GLLA uh, to do a fest around the copper box, and we're working on that. And we encourage, in particularly London partners, to play a role in that and create something which is a bit a, a demonstration of the collaborative way in which we can profile the sport in that window. Uh, we are going to Manchester for the um, test scrimmage and, and, a, and a prep game uh, in, in August. The 27th of August is the test game up there in the new basketball, um, National Basketball Centre that Manchester City Council have built. And Manchester City Council incredibly supportive of, of basketball. And they've got their tr- tremendous uh, venue there where we held the women's games in, in February. So we'll look to do something around that as well. Um, and then it's a question about you know, to what extent other people might get involved. I think our focus should be in delivering um, a great uh, event in London and uh, an event around the Manchester Camp and Manchester game, working with the Manchester City Council. Uh, And if we can do other things around the nation to make it national, that would be great. The the three home nations have talked to them um, and certainly we hopefully see some plans about how they do it. it. Of course, it is a these games come at a really interesting time. They're, they're, we're very much focused, of course, on the um, on the GB qualification uh, for Eurobasket, but the, the window we're working in is is from the uh, the men's Olympic final in um, in Rio, uh, which is just before uh, our camp in Manchester, and our last GB game away in Luxembourg is the day of the Paralympic basketball, wheelchair basketball final. So there's a chance between the two Olympic finals to, to try and showcase the sport and talk about the sport. You've got the pre-season for the WBL, WBL, you've got National League starting. Uh, Scotland, I think, have got a women's day on the 3rd of, of September. So there are, in that window, there's quite a lot of basketball activity going on. And so it's how do we, how do we, sell that as a as a a single um communication to the sport to say look look we're working together to create uh, change obviously you chose that you, you chosen that uh, for the three games to be at the copper box in london uh, i i agree personally i agree with that decision uh, but i have seen many people uh, from up north complain yeah. um but I just wanted to for you to go through your thought process and, and kind yeah. of explain to people why why you've gone with okay. london well, I think there, there, are, there are three factors in the decision-making, aren't there? The first is, what does the team want to do? You know, the, the, the team logistics, travel logistics, team preparation, team um, practice sessions, these are, in, in, in executing a, an event like this, it must be the number one priority. So the conversations with, with Joe Prunty, uh, we've had, uh, you know, what did he want to do? That's, that's the first factor. Uh, the second factor is availability of venues. Um, you know, the venues uh, for three home games, we, we found out in late January that we had three home games and they're all in a one-week window. 
Um, so then you've got to try and which, which venues are available to do that uh, and what dates and what costs. Uh, and then the third factor is setting tickets. We, we need these events to be a success. We need them to be sold out. We need them to have a full crowd, but not just because uh, that will bring more money into the sport, uh, but because the team want to play in front of a, a full house. So you're looking at those three things and trying to balance them all out. Um, the team have already got a great deal of travel. You know, they're in Portugal, in Ljubljana, in Slovenia, in Manchester, in Hungary. Then they've got the, the three home games and then they're off again to the, the two away games. There's an awful lot of travel in this, this window for them. Uh, and if you split the home games out and take them around the country, um, although that's appealing from an audience development point of view, it just puts greater stress and burden on the travel range for the players. And I think that's our number one priority. So, so they wanted to be in London. They like London. They like the cough box. Uh, and um, we felt that was probably the best choice for the team's preparation. Makes sense. Um, and, and, then, and then when, when, when we decided we want to fit a, um, an early camp in and, and, a, and, a, and a test main game, um, it was very natural to go back to Manchester because the, we had a great experience up in Manchester in February with, with, with the women's team. Um, and um, it's a chance then for the Manchester uh, fans, the Northern fans, to go and watch uh, play Holland on the 27th of August uh, and get that experience as well. Um, I, I know that you're not exactly responsible for the specifics of the players and everything else, but I do have to ask the question, obviously, about Lawal. I've seen you go on record and talk that you, say that you've been uh, trying to reach out to him. And, you know, of course, it would be amazing to have him there and be a part of it, whether it's playing or just there, you know, physically. Um, kind of how is that going? Uh, are you any closer? What, what sort of are the conversations that have been had so far? Um, I'm not going to get into the details of the, of, of the conversations, but, I mean, I do believe... Uh, absolutely. The conversation with the players, the prospective players, the invitees into the camp is the job of the coach. And Joe is doing that. He's talking to all the players. We have an idea about who's available, who's going to be fit, who's in contract, out of contract. Uh, he has that knowledge and information and that dialogue going and that's progressing. And I think he's sat he is satisfied with it. I think my role in that process as the chairman of the BBF is to try and uh, keep the players uh, in touch with the bigger, the bigger picture, the, 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 the off court developments. And that's what I've tried to do. Um, we've, 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 we, we do that through email. I make myself available. Anyone wants to bring and speak to me. I've, I've spoken to a number of players uh, either uh, over Skype or, or in, in camps or um, but through, through exchanges through emails so I'm, I'm willing to do that, but I'm, I'm talking then about the stuff we're talking about today. How, why is this sport? Why is it going to be different this time? How can they play a role in helping it be different? Um, and we, that, I think you've got to keep that separation really clear. So you know, that's that's Joe's job to see whether Luol is available, whether he's going to be fit, whether he's in contract, what, all the issues that will determine whether any individual player uh, is available uh, for the camp and beyond. And we'll be announcing details of the players who are coming into camp in a few weeks' time, I think. What, uh, obviously, a problem that the GB has had in previous years or something that seems to come up, uh, well, used to come up every year when Luol was playing and, and some of the bigger, guy, the bigger uh, contract guys was insurance. 
yep. and then obviously the financing and the insurance and everything else. Now, you know, what's the financial situation of BBF at the moment? Um, kind of how much runway do you have? You know, how dire is it? Like, what's the situation? Like, do you need UK Sports, Sport England, someone to bail you out ASAP? You know, what's the, what's the situation? Well, we've got enough. We've got enough funding to deliver our plans for this financial year until March 17. Um, and part of our job uh, in the next six months is to secure the funding to continue to do that in the way we want to do it in the future years. Um, there's a lot of work to do on that. Um, and obviously, the more money you have, the more you can invest in the sport. Um, we are having to make choices about where we spend our money, and we'll have to continue to do that for a number of years to come, I think, until we have moved the sport forward and developed longer-term sources of funding, particularly, I think, from uh, from sponsors and commercial partners. You know, it is it, very important for the sport to satisfy uh, the government funding to show how it is developing its own sources of income, and that's a challenge we have got to embrace and, deli- and, and, and deliver on. You know, like, away from, like, you know, I, I don't envy your job. You know, don't you feel an incredible amount of pressure? It seems like a, a really difficult task. Yes, <laughs> it is. And how are you dealing with that pressure? Like, you know, what's, what's the thought process? Isn't it stressing you out? Like, you know, I've got an event next week and I just feel the pressure every single day of just, it's just riding and riding. Yeah, and, I'm just like, and yeah, like, you know, this is obviously what you're doing is, you know, 100x the scale of that. Um, how do you deal with it personally? Well, it, well it's, not about, it's not about me anyway. I mean, it, you know, I, when I became the chairman of British basketball, I didn't want to become the spokesman for British basketball. That's not what I... I'd done, you know, for 35 years, I've been the right-hand man of somebody else who's been a brilliant spokesman for the, for the, for, for the sport. You know, whether it's Greg Dyke or, or David, David Gill or Richard Dumanard at Thames TV. These are brilliant statesman-like men who are great spe- spokesmen. That's not, that's not what I wanted to do. So this, this is not what I naturally do. Um, I'm uh, doing it because someone's going to take a leadership position uh, and I want to encourage others to uh, take leadership positions for their areas. And, you know, we've got a new chief executive in Basketball England, Stuart Kellett, who's a brilliant guy, working much, much harder than I will ever work to try and change and deliver Basketball England. We've got hardworking people up in Scotland and Wales as well. Um, So these people are also uh, sharing the responsibility, as are members of my board. Um, uh, It is true, and I've experienced this at the FA and at the... the, um, uh, the, the, the LTA uh, and people I don't think probably until they've done it realize it's a very lonely place sometimes being a chairman or a, a chief executive. Um, and you are, and I think the success of that is having the right team of people around you who share that responsibility. And that's what we're trying to build here. Um, that's what you know, Martin Glenn's just done at the FA and what uh, Michael Downey is doing at the LTA. You have to build a team of people around you and have a board around you who support you in trying to do this. Otherwise, it is incredibly lonely and stressful. Um, fortunately, I think we've started to see that. That's, again, it's about the leadership and culture. It's about a, a group effort and a clarity of who is doing what. When, um, you know, the, uh, the BBF becomes the official member of FIBA in October, 
yeah. how is that actually practically going to work with the home nations and the BBF? Is the BBF going to sit at the top and kind of advise the home nations and say, this is what you've agreed to do, this is what you need to be doing? And then the home nation is then going to try and deliver on that. Like, and then the BBF is going to hold them accountable. Or is it going to be more independent than that? Like, how is it actually going to work? Well, I think that's, that's about the collaborative culture. I mean, because don't forget, although we are, I suppose, the, the FIBA member and, and we represent those home nations at FIBA, and therefore that puts us apparently at the top of the pyramid. Actually, our owners, our members, as the BBF, are the three home nations. So we, we report to the three home nations, to England, Scotland and Wales. And when we do our, our AGM, uh, our board will be accountable to the three home nations for what we are saying and doing. So the structure is, is actually circular because although we are the FIBA member and are, and are held accountable to FIBA for the sport in Britain, uh, we are also accountable to the three home nations, what we do. And that's why you have to create this collaborative culture and you have to define clearly who is doing what within that structure and hold each other accountable for the delivery of it. Um, so uh, that's what I was talking a second ago. It's not about the chairman of the BBF or the BBF. It's about the, 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 the leadership roles that each of the home nation play and the way we work together to deliver a bigger, better sport. So essentially, the only way this is going to work is if, is if everyone is on the same page. Uh, well, if if the, if enough people are on the same page to make it happen, you know, that's this document is is trying to. This is you know the the front page of this has the logos of the three home nations and the BBF on it. Yeah. It is our joint effort. It's our joint statement of intent, um, and so, and it only works if we jointly deliver it. So, what would happen if let's just say Barcelona England? a year down the line, say, actually, we think this is the best way to go and they want to do something completely different that Basel Wales, Basel Scotland and maybe the BBF doesn't agree with? How well, that... I think we have to look at what it is. You know, depending on what it is, you know, of course, each home nation will need to take the broad strategy um, and adapt it to their own circumstances. They're all in quite different positions. Um, you know, in... Basketball England is clearly the largest in terms of population and therefore the largest in terms of clubs and players and coaches. Um, uh, Scotland, and is funded by Sport England for now, if, if it's successful in the next round, for these wider outcomes that the government uh, seeks to achieve on individual and community outcomes. Uh, sports, uh, Basketball Scotland is funded uh, partly by, by, obviously, its own clubs, but also by... Uh, Sports Scotland, they're very much focused on uh, the, the affiliated club networks. They have a different approach to it. And, and Wales has just um, been successful in getting uh, re-recognised by Sports Wales uh, and therefore can start to build a relationship again with Sports Wales for funding. They're, so they're all in different positions and they'll have to adapt their strategy. So when we talk about having a clear accountability, the accountability needs to recognise the different places each of these nations is in. And the, you know, one of the things I hope we'll see more of is uh, better shared practices, uh, better shared activities, uh, joining some of the work up together, whether it's coach development or uh, having a, a brilliant set of drills to give to schools for to PE teachers. How do you join this stuff up and then uh, 
share that best practice in a way which helps each of the three home nations deliver against their own set goals. Well, That's what, what we've got to try and do. Why was Basketball Wales not recognised by Sport Wales before? I believe it's had some governance issues over the years and, and been de and being de-recognised. And so they've just been a process under the new chairman, Steve Lloyd, to satisfy Sports Wales. The changes they've made and the governance changes and their processes changes um, mean that they can be re-recognised. And there's been a lot of hard work from the board down there. Um, and they've now been successfully re-recognised. So that's a really positive step. Which means that they sh uh, I assume that now they should then be able to get funding in the future from, basketball, uh, from Sport Wales, sorry. They'll, they should be able to apply for funding in the future from Sports Wales, but I mean, you know, clearly, uh, Sport Wales funding uh, and the, the money that Basketball Wales can contract from that is is going to still be relatively small. Yeah. Uh, but it, it, relative to what they've got today, that should be very helpful. Ah, interesting. I was never aware of that. Um, okay. And so, you know, going back to the the, the vision document. Um, mm. I think that the biggest thing missing from it is the how, you know. Yes. And obviously, uh, in the in the press release, it said that uh, before Christmas, you want to have the sort of the how of all this sorted out um, by by forming working groups. Yeah. So can you talk a little bit about that process? What exactly yep. you're going to be doing and and how you're going to yeah. come to those decisions? Yeah. I mean, in an ideal world, um, as I as I've been part of in the other sports I've been in. Uh, you, we wouldn't have gone so public so early with this document. We would have uh, gathered more insight into the behaviours and the needs of players and coaches and officials, and we would have developed an action plan that supports the delivery of that, and that would have sat comfortably under this document. And that would have been an ideal situation. But as I've just outlined, uh, my belief is that creating this new fresh culture is the first step to doing that. And so this is about setting out that statement of intent and that cultural change. And now we need to fill in the detail. Uh, it's very interesting. I've just been to the FIBA conference, Congress, the General Assembly in, in Dublin. And while I was out there, I picked up the Basketball Island Strategic Plan 2015-2025. Um, and they've got six outcomes which are very similar to ours. And they have published uh, detailed timelines and activities for each project each of those outcomes that's what we're aspire to do it's, it's it's worth the read if you're interested in how other other nations are doing this and that's what we're working to do and and you know i've no doubt that ours will look something similar to theirs anyway because the stuff is is um is relatively straightforward as to what we need to do and how we so we'll work on that and we'll keep people abreast what to do that there are six outcomes in the document uh, i've identified with the board six people to lead one for each of those outcomes, recognising that these are all volunteers and there's a lot of work to do, so let's break the work down. Um, and they're creating small groups of people who will uh, take the principles set out in this document. They will, uh, with the support of the home nations, gather more behavioural insight into what is needed and they will develop the action plans, the milestones, and eventually the targets by which we'll measure the success over the next six months. Some of those things will come quicker because to put a UK sports submission in on the 27th of June, we kind of need to have worked out how we're going to change the pathway and the GB team development stuff, which is the fourth and sixth of our six outcomes. 
So that will come quicker. Um, on opportunities to play in England, uh, the third outcome, uh, we need a Sport England submission. Basketball England will be doing in September. So that's going to set a, a timetable for, for that. Some of the others, like um, driving the awareness and profile and, and creating a centralised strategy for commercial development, which I think is a really important long-term plan, will take longer. Uh, on the fifth one, the Quality League, uh, we uh, obviously have extended the BBL licence for one more year to next July, uh, and we've set a deadline with them for this working group to conclude the process of the, creating the new long-term license by December. So, as again, so there, there are different timeframes for each outcome, depending on work availability, priorities, deadlines set by external people. Uh, and what we'll do is we'll communicate out uh, as frequently as we can progress in doing that. Can you say who the six people are you've got responsible for each outcome? Uh, well, they're not responsible for the outcome. They're, they're responsible oh, for chairing a working yeah. group. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, goodness me. And the, the, the responsibility will be a, a wider one. Um, so the, we, the two on the programming, on the, on the, on the talent and the, um, uh, and the GB teams, we have a group called the Program Management, Performance Management Group, um, which Roger Morland chairs, but it's got um, Stuart Keller on it and it's, gonna, it's got... Vladan and Barry and, and um, Lucy. So it's got representatives from the three home nations and it'll have uh, representatives from the league as well. Mark Clark's involved in it as well and, and Vanessa Ellis. So, so there, are, there are people like that who will be involved in those. Um, my uh, independent director, Ian Courier from Nottingham Council is going to lead on the, the professional league. Uh, Bill, Bill McGuinness is going to lead on the... Um, on the leadership and cultural change. He's been a huge propo uh, supporter and, and driver of this change over the last four years, and he'll finish that process through that. Um, I've just hired a new um, director to the board, a lady called Samantha Gordon, from um, from previously the finance director of Norwich City Football Club, just joined our board into her first meeting, and she'll lead on the awareness and, and, and profiling um, work stream. Uh, and they're, they're out contacting the various people who are going to be involved in in those work streams over the next few weeks and starting to put them together and, and develop the plans. Uh, two of those people that you mentioned there, um, Bill McInnes, Roger Morland, obviously they were involved with GB through the past two strategies yep. that nothing has been delivered on. Now, I've had a number of people uh, that I've spoken to have just said that nothing is going to change until the people change and there, sh there should be no connection to the old regime, so to speak. So why is it that both of those people are still in place? Well, they, they've been the architects of the new this new organisation. I mean, they have been the people who have secured basketball, um, Sport England funding for the last two years. They're the people who've, who've uh, won the support of FIBA for the change and worked with FIBA on it. They're the ones who brought... Um, you could also say they're the ones that have nothing to show for the 10, 12 million no, that they had, and they're the ones that ended well, yeah, up we, we can keep looking. We can keep, we can keep looking, looking back. I'm not interested in looking back. I think they, they, are, they, are, they, are, they are called transitional directors. They provide a linkage with the past. They will remind us what has and hasn't worked in the past, uh, but they're part of a team uh, and uh, a very important part of the team, and we'll work with them and others to deliver on this vision. And then the, you mentioned briefly there um, the the BBL license stuff. Yeah. 
can you say what the intention is after after this? Uh, so you, you renewed the license for a year. You know, after that year, um, is it the intention for you guys to bring the license in house so you have full control over the professional league in terms of enforcing standards and whatever else? Well, I think we, we've been quite clear on that um, in the um, in the document. Um, there are ten principles set out on page twelve of the document. Uh, it starts with the men's league statement, which says restructure the BBL with an independent board with strong governance process, leadership and integrity to run the league with appropriate representation from the governing bodies, clubs and partners. So there's a clear statement of intent. That's what the new structure will be based around. I believe it will need an independent chairman uh, and we show an open process to find an independent chairman, but that the clubs will be represented in that group as they should be. Uh, and that the national governing bodies will be represented in that group, and hopefully, in time, uh, someone who's going to invest in that league to grow it and promote it and support it will also be represented. So we need to create that that um, that structure. Oh, yeah. um, and, and 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 I think it's really important change to be seen to be led in a way which is independent of the clubs. That's how you how you uh, create the perception of being regulated in a proper, fair way. And how, how do the clubs feel about that? <laughs> um, they will be nervous. Uh, <laughs> they are nervous. Uh, but, I, I, you know, they've seen this. They've seen the words. They've accepted the words in my conversations with them. Uh, there is an awful lot of detail still to be worked out about exactly who's represented, how, in what way. Uh, but the principle, I believe, is accepted. Um, and uh, that is what we're moving forward with. Are you still having conversations with the likes of uh, Beeble UK? I haven't spoken to Hugh for a while. Um, you know, it, it, he, I believe, is still thinking about how he might be able to get involved in this plan, um, and I'm open to talk to anybody who's got ideas about how to successfully build the sport, and if they bring money to the sport to invest in the sport then they are uh, a dialogue that we want to continue to have. But it's got to be now on the principal set in this document. This is a whole sport plan. This is not about uh, commercial exploitation of the sport. It was fascinating at the FIBA General Assembly, hearing them talk about their plans for European club competition and the absolute clarity of vision that it's about sport first, not commercialization first. Uh, and we have to get that balance right as well. Of course, you need to commercialize the sport to bring money in, to invest in it, to grow it. But it should be driven by the principles of sporting success, sporting excellence, sporting development. And the funding should be used to support that. It's not about creating something that is simply about making money for investors. You've got to get that balance right. One of your uh, strategic outcomes, strategic priorities, sorry, in the document is obviously the um, clear facilities strategy. Now, facilities is, yes. is something that, you know, has been talked about forever by everyone. Um, everyone is aware it's a huge issue. What do you think potentially the BBF can do to not only create new facilities like in Leicester, like in Manchester, but also improve the access to the facilities we already have that are costing ridiculous you know 45 50 pounds an hour um yep. for kids that want to play indoors when it's raining outside and, and whatever else 
Well, this is a, a familiar story. It, it's the same debate we have in tennis. It's the same debate we had in football. And there are pressures, obviously. What's encouraging about basketball, of course, is that if you look at the data, uh, the growing part of the sport is actually the outdoor basketball and all the, the hoops, hoops out in parks and stuff. And we found that in, other, in the other sports as well. <clears throat> you know, indoor is where it's naturally played. And obviously, on rainy days, it's essentially played. But there is a, a huge amount of um, opportunity, and we're, you see that in the data of people who play in outdoor participation or in non-organized um, activity. So basketball has a core of that anyway, and that's relatively cheap to take part in. Um, as I understand it, there are four and a half to 5,000 three-court ball halls or multi-sport halls in, 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 in Britain. Um, so how do you get better access to them? Uh, work with the clubs to do that, uh, help them succeed. I absolutely believe, uh, as I think I tweeted out yesterday, that um, having a clear facility strategy for big cities uh, in the same way as football is doing its park life project is an essential plan. And we'll work with Basketball England uh, and the other uh, home nations to try and work out how to do that. So, you know, the, the Leicester, what, what's happening at the moment, and it's, it's very encouraging to see clubs developing their own, uh, their own um, ball halls, um, but they are doing it in splendid isolation. So how do you join that up? How do you help them succeed uh, in doing that? And then making sure that those ball halls, when they're built, uh, not only are the home for uh, the local uh, professional club, but perhaps for community clubs, for community activity, for coach development, uh, for first experiences of people, for officials' development, they, they, these, these hubs can sit in the centre of cities. And I, you know, I think um, we're seeing that. There's been some nice things, you know, I think there's events in Sheffield last, uh, yesterday, there are events in Manchester this week where, where the, the, these board halls are being used as a focal point to bring people in for a, a coaching or, a, or an official development thing. And we need to do that more. We need to have more of those centres. And so that's the strategy we need to develop. That's why it's number five on our, our priorities is to have that clear strategy to get support from funders to develop it um, and, to, and to get good national coverage for those, those community hub centres. Again, it's a big, big plan long term, but it's got to be, it, it's got to be a priority. You, you're, uh, these top 10 strategic priorities, are they in, are they in actual order of, of the, their priority or are they just un, un, unordered? Uh, there, there, there is a sort of order about them, isn't it? It, it kind of builds from the back, you know, um, just as a good, as I understand it, a good team builds from the back. Um, you know, number one was about the insight. You've got, if you don't have the insight to drive your decision making, you make bum decisions. And so we have to get, gather better insight. For me, that, that was the big thing that is different in terms of what you guys are talking about. Compared to previous um, strategies, I I don't think or I don't remember seeing people talk about being able to gather data, having insight, um, yeah. which is obviously like you know massively important. But ha- and I saw Bas Women now have been advertising a post as like an yeah. insights yeah. analyst or something like that as a full time yeah. role. Um, yeah. So kind of ha- how are they going to do that? Surveys and research and yeah. like- surveys and research. I mean, the future of basketball.co.uk was a, a toe in the water. It was quick and dirty. See what we got. Got you know quite a lot of names and addresses, and people who are interested in particular aspects of the sport. Yeah. Um, I think the the number one um, goal they said was to be respected on and off court. Well, you know that's what we're trying to do with this document. 
Um, so there'll be more of that. And um, and, and I think in uh, in Stuart's comments around the um, the announcement, he, he talked about that. He said um, the next phase will be engaging more and making things happen. Basketball England will be asking coaches, clubs, referees, officials and other stakeholders about their current and future needs. And we'll use these to make better decisions. So that's absolutely what he's doing. And we'll see more of that. And that will be a really important building block. And that sits at the front of the, you know, the start of this. And then the two and three uh, is securing investment from UK Sports, Sport England, Sports Club. And we talked about that already. Yeah. And three is about the awareness of the sport. So they're, they're the next important building blocks. And then you start to get into the sort of longer term strategy issues of how do you then sell the sport to commercial partners and how do you build a facility strategy which can underpin your goals so those first five the blue ones on my document are are the underpinnings in some way and then the the red ones are the the offensive ones um which is is about what you want to do in engaging the players uh, based on having got those the, the principles and the, the foundations right uh, so obviously it's about the review of competition structures and and the partners who deliver that to, to recruit and retain men and women in the sport. And, and clearly the home nations will be very in the lead on that. Coaching standards and officiating standards, you know, we, we want a bigger, deeper pool of coaching. We want them to be supported year in, year out. It's not just about having a particular license and ticking a box, which too many sports have fallen into that trap. It's about a proper education program. It's about uh, having good online content. It's about CPD and and rechecking with with coaches that they're developing the right way, and teaching co coaches and helping coaches understand the value of knowing when to pass on a player to the next level to get there to help their development. So there's a whole host of stuff around there. We obviously want to see officials achieving more internationally. Uh, I was with Gavin Williams in in. Um, in, in Dublin, and I flew back well, I was at the airport with him. We were talking about why haven't we got more officials at the international level? And we need to work hard to to do that, to get their, raise their standards and their profile and give them the experience to do that. We talked about the BBL. We haven't talked about the women's game, which is the ninth of priority. I think this is a massive opportunity. Yeah. Um, other sports are showing and leading the way in how they develop the women's game. You know, the WSL in football now is really starting to motor and, and Martin Glenn has set a really ambitious target for growing the number of girls playing football and watching football. You know, Netball's done a good job over the last few years that we have to embrace the opportunity. We have to find a way of, of, of getting girls to come into the sport and stay in the sport and enjoy the sport and develop the sport as a player or a coach or an official. Out of interest, do you know if, uh, obviously there's the stat that's regularly quoted about um, basketball being the second most popular team sport for 11 to 15 year olds. Do you know what the breakdown is if you then split it up by gender and you say within males and within females, what that, how that dif difference, differentiates at all? Uh, I haven't got, I haven't uh, got a, a split of that, uh, probably should have, but uh, you know, it's not 50-50, you know, in other sports, in tennis, for example, it's getting on 50-50 in the sport. It's not the case, yeah. in, I'm sure. Um, so we, we've got to we've got to start. We start with a lower base of, of girls playing, uh, and and that's because you know netball is more embedded in um, in the culture of of, yeah. of female sport, and and because also because less female countries play 
female basketball, uh, for female netball, there's more chance of getting to the top. Uh, so we, we're up against that, but uh, we, we can work on that. And, um, you know, again, I think that sits very strongly with the three home nations to embrace that challenge uh, and for us to be supportive and help, help them do that. Yeah. Um, so, you know, like what, what is immediately next for you? Talking the next few well, weeks, I think next months. Yeah, well, th- this, is a, this is a vision for the whole sport. This is, a, this is for the four, the four bodies to focus on. For me, having got this out, uh, we've got uh, five objectives as a board to deliver ourselves this year. How we'll judge ourselves as a board and what we've achieved in our first year of existence. Uh, one is obviously to get these action plans out and we will lead the process of getting the action plans out. Uh, but uh, the three home nations will be absolutely central to the de- development and delivery of those. Uh, the second will be clearly to make credible, strong cases to UK Sport and Sport England as to why we should receive funding in order to develop this plan, both as the BBF, but also um, as the home nations. Uh, the third is obviously to execute a successful August, September men's camp and, um, and games uh, and follow it up in November with two successful away games. I mean, qualifying for Eurobasket 17, men and women, would be a big positive for us as a sport to develop this. If we are unsuccessful, uh, it's not the end. It's just we've got to work even harder to build on it. But that doing everything we can to give them the men and women the best chance of doing that is 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 absolute priority uh we've got to be ready in october 16 to become the national governing body for the sport and we have a, a group of people working to make sure the detail of what that requires us to be in a position to do whether it's anti-doping or integrity or governance or licensing i mean the whole range of things that a national governing body has to do and who's going to do that that needs to be ready and least, last but not least, is we need to develop a clear financial plan for 17-18 about how we're going to operate in the following financial year. So those are, those are my BBF five priorities is to get those things right, um, uh, which are subsets in some ways of the bigger strategic priorities that we've set for the whole of the sport. If you don't manage to source funding by March, what, what happens? Is it all over? Or will it... <laughs> no, no, well, we'll... we'll, we'll, we'll Basketball will still exist in this country uh, and we'll have to find a, a different model for moving it forward. We'll be, um, yeah, be, be more challenging. We'll probably have to go at a slower pace, but we'll still be here. We'll be still working our socks off to try and deliver this. Um, it'll just be a little bit harder. Yeah. The other thing I just wanted to clarify was that um, when you were first announced, you were announced as the independent chair, but now I see you being yes. called the, the chairman. Is there a difference between the two? And if there is, what is it? And why has it changed if that is the case? Or if it, I, no I, I think that's lazy language. I think um, most people think uh, in this day and age, um, chair is a uh, less sexist term and we should use that. But uh, old people like me sometimes default to using old terminology. Um, I, I'm, I'm indifferent. I, you know, it, I don't care whether I'm called the chair, the chairman or what, but it, but is there I a difference? Probably, between, I mean, is there a difference between independent? No, there's chair no difference in responsibility. There's no difference in responsibility at all. It's exactly the same. It's the person who chairs the board meeting, who chairs the AGM. That's the chair's job. Um, whether it's a man or a woman, 
uh, it, it doesn't matter. It's it's the, that's the job. Would you say you're a lot more hands-on than most chairs are? Uh, I think because I'm new to the sport, although I've got a great deal of relevant experience from other sports, I have had to be more deeply involved and engaged than I intended or expected. But I hope and aim that as this strategy is success, other strong leadership voices will emerge and that we'll have a clear action plan and I will become a chair of the BBF board and not a spokesman for the sport. We need other vocal uh, voices to emerge to lead the sport at every level, but in a way which is consistent with this overall strategy. So that if you're hearing a voice in basketball in Britain, it's a different voice, but it's saying the same story. It's the same strategy. It feels that we're working together. I don't think that can be done from a single voice in the centre. I think that's a perfect place to start um, wrapping up. Final thing, what, okay. what would, uh, if you had an ask of, of the audience, uh, do you have anything in particular that you would like to ask them or that you would uh, like to see them take action on? Well, I think everybody should read the document. They should think in whichever way they engage in the sport, how can they help? How can they help organise things differently? How can they help reach out and join stuff up together? How can they help tell the story of why this sport is one that should be supported and backed by its partners? Uh, everybody can play a role in that. Everybody can play a role in their interactions, whether it's social media interactions or it's, it's FaceTime, uh, you know, one-to-one -one interactions in a, in a club or in a community hall. But how do you help build this? Because the more people who buy into it and sell the story, the more chance we have of success. This is not about one individual or a group of individuals. This is about all of us collectively uh, working to the single goal, a single aim to deliver this. And so I urge everybody uh, to, to think about how they can play a role, whether they are. I mean, what is interesting is, that, you know, I think we started on this point at the beginning. It's easy to sign up for this, but you've got to then say, what do I need to do differently? And be truthful and open, honest about yourself and say, actually, you know, I do lots of great stuff. But actually, if I did it this way, I could make a bigger impact and be a bigger part of the whole. And I think everyone needs to think about that and see whether they're willing to, to, to change and be part of it. And I hope as many as possible will be. And that will, you know, when we talk in three months, six months, 12 months, two years, we'll be able to talk about the individuals around the country who've made a difference, who've devoted their time and efforts to the bigger picture, as well as to the local activity that they're engaged with. Perfect. And if people want to reach you, you're on Twitter, Nick underscore Humby, right? Yeah, that's right. Um, and um, you know, I listen, I don't tend to reply to every direct message I get sent, um, but I, I, I read with interest and I listen. Um, and if people want to have a conversation with me and I can, I can try and find the time to have that conversation off offline. Perfect. Thank you so much for taking time out of your uh, Black right. Holiday Monday to join us, Nick. It's much appreciated. The pleasure. I really enjoyed talking to you, Sam. All right. Cheers, Nick. I'll speak to you soon. Thanks, Nick. 
You are listening to the Hoops Fix podcast, the official voice of the UK's largest basketball website. Visit hoopsfix.com for exclusive news, videos and more.